Looking for the latest perspectives to help simplify changing market conditions? Go to Nationwide, one of America's largest financial services companies. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, FINRA member, Columbus, Ohio. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash earnings right now. NetSuite.com slash earnings. Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrell and Lisa Abramowitz. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg Terminal. Uh, 904 on Wall Street, live from the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio. We're now going to bring you a special interview with Elon Musk. The Tesla CEO talked about the quote-unquote unresolved matters in his pursuit of Twitter. He must spoke with Bloomberg's editor-in-chief, John Micklethwaite, from the Qatar Economic Forum in Doha, powered by Bloomberg. There are still um, a few unresolved matters. Uh, you've, you've probably read about the, the question as to whether the number of um, fake and spam users on the system is less than 5% as Twitter claims, um, which I think is probably not most people's experience uh, on when using Twitter. Um, so we're still awaiting resolution on that matter. Um, and that, that is uh, a very significant matter. Um, so uh, we're, we're awaiting resolution on that. Um, and then of course, uh, there is the question of, uh, will the, uh, the debt portion of the uh, round uh, come together, and then will the shareholders vote in favor? So I think those are the three things that um, uh, stand in the, uh, you know, that need to be resolved before uh, the transaction can complete. What about the general state of the economy? Does that weigh on you when you think about this? I mean, you just described it, you have a super bad feeling about the economy. Are you still in that position? I just said to you earlier, Joe Biden has just come out and said that a recession in America is not inevitable. How do you feel about the economy? I think a recession is inevitable at some point. As to whether there is a recession in the near term, um, I think that is more likely than not. Uh, it certainly isn't. A, it's not a certainty, but um, it appears more likely than not. Um, and what do you think? I'm, 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 I'm with you. <laughs> I agree with you. I think it's more likely. Can I ask you yeah. one particular thing to do with the Twitter bid, which is, you know, you are one of the biggest and fastest growing um, investors in China. Tesla, you've talked about it being a third of your sales going forward. You're now buying Twitter, the kind of public forum for free speech. 
The Chinese historically don't tend to be very enthusiastic about free speech. Are you worried about whether you can keep those two particular horses running? Is, is buying Twitter going to get you in trouble with the Chinese? Twitter does not uh, operate in China. Yes. So, um, and I think uh, China does not uh, attempt to interfere, interfere with the uh, free speech of the, of the press in the U.S. Uh, as, as far as I know, because I, I, I assume you're not under pressure to at Bloomberg to uh, from China. So I think there's. Um, I, I don't think this is going to be an issue. And in terms generally of that issue of freedom of speech and Twitter, you've talked about Twitter being making it even freer and letting more people onto it. Is there a limit yeah. at all to, to who you think should be allowed onto Twitter? My aspiration for Twitter or in general for the digital town square would be that it is as inclusive uh, in, in the broader sense of the word as possible, um, that it is, it is an appealing uh, system to use. Um, so, I mean, ideally I'd like to get like 80% of, uh, let's say, North America and perhaps I don't know, half the world or something, ultimately, on on Twitter in, in one form or another. And that needs that means it must be something that is appealing to people. It, it obviously cannot be a place where they feel uncomfortable or harassed um, or they'll simply not use it. All right, that was Tesla CEO Elon Musk sitting down with Bloomberg's editor-in-chief, John <clears throat> Micklethwaite, from the Qatar Economic Forum yeah. in Doha, powered by Bloomberg. rip up the script here with Pooja Shroom. She's U.S. economist at Barclays, but obviously with the parchment from LSE is always dollar and foreign exchange based is a litmus paper of the system. Let's go from weak yen out to strong dollar. How does a resilient dollar or strong dollar change the degrees of freedom that Jerome Powell has? Well, um, thanks for having me, Tom. Uh, a strong dollar is, is definitely something that is favorable for import prices. Um, it's, uh, it should help uh, in the long term to try and relieve some pressure, at least from imported inflation. So, um, But you know. President Trump would say we need to bring the dollar down to spur exports. We haven't heard that from President Biden, at least so far. I mean, give me the export side of that discussion. Well, um, it's it's true that um, a stronger dollar would be um, slightly uh, unfavorable for net exports, but I think the focus right now is on taming inflation pressure. So from that point of view, uh, we think a stronger dollar Strong dollar's good is absolutely lesser down. Absolutely. Well, but Pooja, going to Edward Yardeni's point, there is no Volcker. They are not going to raise rates into a recession. They don't want to trigger a recession. Is that an accurate characterization of what you expect from the central bank? Well, uh, absolutely. I think no central bank wants to engineer a recession. Um, but from what we saw in their uh, summary of economic projections, from what we heard from Chair Powell, I think they are acutely aware that there is likely to be some pain to the economy uh, if they wish to bring uh, price pressures under control. And I think uh, what they showed us uh, through the 75 basis point rate hike uh, in the June FOMC and what their hawkish dot plot shows us is they're willing to sort of push the limit a little over 
over here uh, to try and and get expeditiously to neutral. Uh, and even if that comes at the cost of slightly lower growth and slightly more unemployment, I think that's a chance that they're willing to take at this point in time. All right. So if you go there to the dot plot and the projections, we have to also go to what some people have called fantasy land. Uh, this idea of unemployment remaining fairly muted into the future, even though we do have this hawkish tilt. What is the breaking point for the Federal Reserve, for policymakers more broadly in terms of the unemployment rate at a time when you've got the likes of Larry Summers projecting 5% unemployment for five years needed to bring inflation down? Yeah, it's, it's, I think uh, they are in a tough spot um, that the trade-off between you know achieving price stability as well as full employment, that's becoming increasingly challenging. Um, and I think uh, we are in a tough inflation environment. Um, I do agree to your point that, um, you know, the projections that they've laid out uh, in, in their uh, summary over there do seem a little optimistic. You know, some might call it a rosy picture, um, aspirational even. Um, but uh, I think what the Fed is likely to look at going forward is how the data evolves. Yeah. And, and you know, that's a message that Chair Powell has given us multiple times. So I think that's going to be their focus um, as of now. Well, what data will they be looking at between now and July when they're deciding between 50 and 75? Yeah, so we get a whole host of uh, data points, in fact, between now and July. But I would say top of the list would definitely be in the June um, CPI inflation print. Um, they will see, you know, see signs of whether inflation pressures continue to accelerate, um, you know, across core categories, particularly. Um, the University of Michigan's inflation expectations print is going to be another important indicator that they will look at. And then, of course, we have the employment report uh, that comes in at the beginning of the month. And, you know, outside of that, I think um, they, they will also continue to look at some of how, you know, some of the other data points in terms of how retail sales evolve, what's happening to housing. For example, we get a bunch of home sales data um, and, you know, we're getting the sense that uh, housing is beginning to feel the pinch of tighter financial conditions. So I think mm -hmm. it's going to be a whole set of these data points that they will keep an eye on. Um, and, you know, that's what they're likely to deliberate on before making their policy decisions. To focus in on the inflation expectations data point in particular, because Powell cited that directly in the press conference last week, saying we saw that University of Michigan number, and that is partly why we decided to move 75 basis points, not wait six weeks to do so. And we heard Jim Bullard of the St. Louis Fed over the weekend talking about the risk of inflation expectations running away, getting out of control. How large of a credibility problem does this Federal Reserve have right now? And what is the likelihood you place around something like that happening? Well, I think credibility was, um, you know, probably an issue that they were concerned about going into the June FOMC meeting. And I think that's the reason why they did such a statement hike. And, you know, mm -hmm. they did that uh, hawkish shift to their dot plot. Uh, but, you know, having done that, I think to some extent, they have been successful in sort of reinstating credibility around um, their price stability mandate. Um, as of now, um, you know, inflation expectations still look reasonably well anchored. Yes, the move up um, in the University of Michigan print was a cause for concern. Um, but right now, that doesn't seem to be running away. This is critical. I mean, July's 27th, and Barclays says there's a reluctance to do 75 beaks back-to-back. -back. That puts you in a, 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 you know, a less hawkish camp, I guess is how I'd put it, not so much dovish camp. How close are they to their comfortable neutrality, not some fancy Taylor rule or statistical ballet, but how, I mean, if it's nonlinear, how close are they to the point where they're aware it's nonlinear and there's a huge impact? Is it now? Is it the fall? Is it next year? 
Um, I think they're they're getting there. They're, they're getting, getting there. Yeah, okay, they're fine. getting they're getting there close to to their you know uh, estimate of the neutral rate. And like you said, we are slightly below consensus in that we are calling you know for a fifty basis point hike in in July. And we think right now um, we are seeing signs that tighter financial conditions are likely weighing on economic activity already. Um, we think that these signs are likely to intensify yeah. as we get into the July meeting. And um, you know maybe the Fed is like. Likely to conclude that policy is yeah. possibly inching into restrictive territory already. And Lisa, I've been remiss on this. I'm sorry, folks. The Bloomberg Financial Conditions Index, which is really, really a good series, thank you, Michael Rosenberg and team, is one standard deviation down today. It's a negative 1.06, uh, Lisa, which is germane to the Barclays point. Things are tightening, and you see that in mortgage rates exemplified there probably more than anywhere else at 6%. Pooja, how much buying power does the consumer still have? One of the biggest questions has really been the power of the consumer, and we've heard about how they are so strong and their balance sheets are terrific. Are they really that good right now? Um, well, to the to your point, yes, household balance sheets still look reasonably you know, healthy. Uh, we still estimate that excess savings that they accumulated over the course of the pandemic are still about two and a half trillion dollars. Um, but uh, we are seeing signs that consumers are likely pulling back uh, on spending. Uh, we think the momentum in consumption spending is slowing. We see that in the retail sales data, for example. Uh, we track some high frequency credit card data and we, we've seen signs that, uh, you know, slow spending has slowed across goods and services. And then, you know, to your point, the savings rate has also dropped well below um, pre-pandemic levels. So, you know, even despite the fact that they do have, you know, uh, decent balance sheets to rely on, it looks like they are becoming a little hesitant uh, about spending. And I think eroding purchasing power is a key concern among consumers right now. Aputa, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. Pooja Sriram with us with Barclays. Seeking timely market and economic updates to help guide client conversations? Look to Nationwide. Nationwide makes simplicity a priority for financial professionals by offering easy access to timely perspectives on changing market conditions, so more time can be focused on helping clients keep their financial plans on track. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, FINRA member, Columbus, Ohio. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. 
That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. And now our conversation of the day on your fear of recession. Edward Yardeni joins us. He's president at Yardeni Research, but far more than that, decades of experience in the ebbs and flows of the American economic experiment. Ed, we just saw Carlos Gutierrez Kellogg say enough. We're throwing in the towel. We're breaking up an underperformer in Battle Creek, Michigan. In recession, in the gloom of recession, Ed, isn't the rule always corporations adjust? Well, I think everybody adjusts in a, in a, in a recession. And uh, what, what's interesting is uh, if uh, we are in a recession or we're going to have an imminent recession, uh, as you know, Tom, this is probably the most anticipated recession of all times, uh, which in my mind makes it either less likely or if it does occur, uh, it's going to be uh, a, a fairly uh, short and, uh, and shallow recession. Uh, which is kind of uh, where I'm leaning towards. At this point, I, I don't think a recession is yet inevitable. I've got a 45% subjective probability of a recession happening over the next 18 months. Uh, but I've been raising that uh, assessment as, as everybody else has been. Ed, let's go through some of the components, starting with gas. Sure. And with $5 a gallon gas, let's say it goes down a little bit, but stays around here. At what mm -hmm. point is that the trigger in and of itself in terms of how right. much it really crimps consumer spending? Well, you know, it's, it's a, uh, a tricky situation when you look at uh, spending by all households. It's about 4 or 5% of all households' uh, budgets relative to personal uh, income. Uh, however, when you look at it on a per-household basis, uh, we were spending about $2,800 a month on average per household about a year ago, and now we're up to about $5,000 per month. And I should say that's at an annual rate. It's not per month. It's at an annual rate. Uh, in other words, at the price of $5, uh, if it just stays here, we'll be spending $5,000 on average per household. And that hurts, especially lower income uh, households. Now, some of them have had some pretty substantial wage increases, but the, unfortunately, they've uh, seen that they've had to give them all back at the grocery store and uh, filling up with gasoline. So um, yeah, the, the gasoline situation is definitely an issue. And it's, as you mentioned before, it's really one of the main reasons that the Consumer Sentiment Index has taken a dive to an all-time record low, especially the uh, expectations component. So consumers are depressed, and they're depressed about inflation generally and gasoline prices and grocery prices specifically. And I'm wondering how that is going to translate into corporate earnings, because as we talk about a consumer faced with higher prices at the gas right. pump at the grocery store, they are spending less on certain discretionary items. We've sure. seen that with the warnings out of the likes of Target. How much broader will that extend, Ed, as we approach the second quarter earnings season? Well, that's a good news and bad news situation. Uh, the, the bad news is that uh, uh, some of these retailers are getting stuck with lots of inventories of consumer discretionary uh, categories. And uh, the good news is that they're going to have to clear those uh, inventories by cutting prices. And as you know, one of the uh, most significant components of inflation over the past year has been consumer durable goods right. inflation. And that's going to come down, especially all the housing-related 
uh, items. So um, mm -hmm. uh, it, it's contributing to a slower economy. On the other hand, it's going to probably mean that the inflation news is going to be somewhat better than expected over the rest of the year. Ed, you're Denny, given 28 flavors of recession, is your study of history that all central banks remain data dependent or do they throw in the towel and blink at some point? Well, I don't see a Paul Volcker out there. Let me let me start out with the extreme. I mean, uh, you know, back in the late 70s, early 80s, uh, Paul Volcker said, you know, dang it, I got to I got to bring inflation down. The only way that's going to happen is if I let interest rates go up to whatever level it takes to cause a recession and bring inflation down. And, and history does show, uh, certainly U.S. history shows that uh, the most effective way to bring inflation down is to have a recession. A really hard recession will do it for sure. Uh, I don't think the central banks want to go there. They've spent uh, the past couple of years trying to get uh, their labor markets protected from the pandemic. They don't want to suddenly completely reverse that around. Uh, so I don't think we're going to see uh, these central banks uh, uh, tighten in a way that causes the kind of uh, uh, right. recession we had in the 70s. Uh, but they are tightening. There's no doubt about that. And the, the fact of the matter is the financial markets have uh, tightened even more. So uh, cre credit conditions are slowing mm -hmm. the global economy down. And I think we're going to see a peak in commodity prices here pretty shortly. Ed Yardeni, thank you so much. Greatly appreciate it. With some real op tangible optimism there, Yardeni, at Research This Morning. Kevin Book with us, Managing Director, Clearview Energy Partners. And Kevin, I want to link in here weaker yen in the import ramifications of Japan and others, which is the research over the weekend on what Russia is doing with their hydrocarbons. They are moving it to India. They are moving it through the Straits of Malacca, up the Pacific Rim to other places, maybe to Japan. I'm not going to speak for that, to China, whatever. What part of the Russian oil movement has your attention with Clearview Energy's global perspective? Morning, Tom. Uh, first and foremost, the amount that China is buying. It's that strong alliance between China and Russia uh, that really shelters the Russian barrel right now. India, notable for its growth, but China for its volume. Uh, second is that the products uh, don't necessarily have the same home. Those are big refining destinations, China and India. So take crude, they're fine, uh, but they've got products uh, they've made of their own. And uh, so they don't need as much of the refined product. That just, just disappears if it can't find a market. Kevin, I want to ask you all these sophisticated questions, but really I just want to know how high gas prices can potentially go in the United States, given some of the calls out of J.P. Morgan and the like for $6 a gallon uh, gasoline. Look, did you think we were going to be at five right now? I think a lot of people are, are re revising their expectations. We're one hurricane or one major refinery outage away uh, from a significant uptick on its own. With that, we have crude structurally aiming higher. Uh, if you see real insurance sanctions go into force, I don't know how price caps are going to work just yet. Uh, a little skeptical that that even works in, in the end. Uh, and so the, the sanctions the EU put in place uh, threatened to squeeze crude even a bit more before the year ends. Uh, and so now you've got crude going up. You've got risks to the refining side. Uh, $6 is not unreasonable. So what's the what's the pressure reliever here, given that we've heard about taxes and removing certain gas taxes, that that probably won't do anything? If anything, it'll actually cause prices to go higher because it will uh, increase demand or allow demand to keep climbing. What do you see as a policy prescription to cap prices where they are, send them lower? Well, you just had a guest who prescribed recession, I suppose. Uh, nothing solves high prices like high prices, except also slow growth. Uh, but the administration is looking at options that are really at the sort of the, the dwindling end of the options set. They've already drawn the SPR. 
Uh, they've already considered products reserves, which aren't very big. Now they're looking at things like uh, product export limitations, not necessarily outright bans, but caps, keeping products home. Uh, that could have deleterious consequences. Yes, a gasoline price, uh, gasoline tax holiday. Uh, but as you suggested, that could induce demand or at least preserve it. Uh, and ultimately, the, the things that could put an immediate relief in price are sort of outside of the administration's environmental comfort zone. So things like waiving air quality standards uh, for, for vapor pressure, uh, that doesn't look like something they're going to do. Well, to that point, this is an administration that came into office with a climate agenda that has been trying to lead a global charge toward decarbonization and cleaner energy. If you're leading an oil company, why would you invest in more refineries or ramping up your production capacity, knowing that at the end of the day, people want to phase out fossil fuels? Yeah, drill today, disappear tomorrow is not an investment thesis. Uh, One last fossil bender before America goes green and sober is not going to convince capital discipline to loosen. Uh, it, it is really a difficult proposition to talk about transition and also ramping at the same time. Well, Kevin, are you predicting $6 a gallon gas? I mean, can I narrow it down to that? Lisa, I'm asking for a friend. Lisa wants to know. We don't predict prices at Clearview. We predict directions and we've got room to the upside. That's his way of saying... Probably. I think you <laughs> said, I, I think we can do the banner. But <laughs> early. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. Kevin, thank you Up. so much. Greatly appreciate it. As he predicts, we're all going to be driving VW diesels here uh, within uh, weeks. He's with Clearview Energy Partners. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Thanks for listening. Join us live weekdays from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio and on Bloomberg Television each day from 6 to 9 a.m. for Insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations, and subscribe to the Surveillance Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on The Terminal. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.